We'll be in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning, and before we jump into uh, that passage, we all are aware of what happened at the lake um, this past weekend, and we were reminded um, that we live in a uh, wicked, sin-scarred world. But as we sang, Jesus is coming. Do you realize that, Christian? He's, he's coming. And uh, Franklin County, we, we made international news. We were front page on the Drudge Report, which is possibly the largest uh, news site on uh, all of the Internet. And you had two people there doing a very basic uh, interview, news stories, and they were gunned down on live TV. You guys know the story. I don't have to repeat it. There's a similar thing that happened um, with Jesus in Luke chapter 13. If you want to dig into that passage later, there was a a case of a natural disaster. A tower fell on some people and killed them. And then there was another instance to where a pilot gave the order and innocent people were killed in the temple in an act of religious worship. They were massacred um, because he was a tyrant and he could. And they were Jews and they had no defense. It was one of those types of situations. And everybody was wondering, they said, Jesus, you know, were, were these people, were they worse sinners? I mean, did everybody, like, what, why, why, and we asked those questions, why do these things happen? And here's how Jesus undercuts all of that. He says, were they more wicked than all those dwelling in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But Jesus twists and goes in a different direction than everybody else thought he could possibly go. And he says, but I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You know how Jesus approaches these questions? And by the way, if you're interested in digging into more of that, you say, well, why why do certain things happen? And how does God and freedom and evil uh, all exist together? We did a a series, an eight-part series several years ago. You can find it on our website uh, called The Problem of Evil or The Problem of Pain, where we march through uh, the logical problem of evil, uh, all sorts of very, very deep questions. If you're looking to dig into those questions, it's all there. Notes are there. Audio is there. But here's how Jesus cuts through all of the philosophical fog, what Jesus is getting at is he says, every time that we see tragedy in our world, that it just seems like, what on earth is going on? He said, the question we should not ask is, why did they die in this way? But rather, we are to ask the question, why are the rest of us still alive? You see, that changes the whole thing, because for Jesus, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is universal depravity, universal sin. And then Jesus tells a little story, and then we'll jump into our text. He said, it's kind of like you have this fig tree, and it's there in this large farm, and all of these trees are giving fruit, and, and they're getting these harvests, but there's this one tree that's not producing anything. And so the man who works the land basically says, well, you know what? It's not producing anything. The owner comes and said, let's cut that thing down. Cut it down. Why does it, why does it even use up the ground? And the man working on, on the tree said, you know what, let, give me another couple of years. Let me, let me fertilize it some more. Let me water this tree some more. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, let's give it some more time. Just maybe it'll bear fruit. And it'll do what a fig tree should do. Which a fig tree, if you're a fig tree, you produce figs. And the point to that story Jesus is saying, and that was all of the, all of the Jews would have understood it because the fig tree was a natural, natu- national symbol for Israel. They all got it. 
What Jesus is saying is that the reason why the rest of us are still left, there's two reasons. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, but you know you need him in your life, the reason why you take the next breath, it's because God is giving you time. It's the reason. According to Jesus, he's giving you extra breath when you breathe in and you breathe out. That's mercy from God, every single breath. He is allowing you to be fertilized by the teaching of God's word. He's allowing you to be watered by people loving you, by you thinking about, man, how did God allow me to make it through the night? knowing who I am and what I've done. And for those of us who have been changed and have been saved, he is giving us time to be the fertilizers and the waterers so that more people can come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the reason why you're alive. Time for you to repent. Then once you repent, you get busy on the things that actually matter and begin to try to do as much as you can to glorify God through loving people. That's the reason. So that's where Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. And um, for those of you who know uh, personally the families that were affected, reach out to them in love. And uh, we live in a sin-filled world. And just maybe when things like this happen, it should cause us to think, if you've never been saved, say, if you can get gunned down on live TV like that, where would I go if I stood before God right now? If somebody came into this building, now we do have, I mean, it'd be like shoot out of the OK Corral. Because we've got some, I'm sure, a few people in here that are packing. We've got police officers recovered. But imagine whatever the situation was, if you died today, what, how, how would that turn out? How would that work? You stand before the, before the Lord. He asks you a question, possibly, why should I let you into heaven? I mean, what, what are you going to say? I went to church. I gave money, I try to work hard. All of that, it doesn't mean anything. The Bible says that the best of our righteousness, man, compared to God's is as filthy rags. That's the best. That's not scraping the dregs at the bottom of the barrel. That's for all of us. So if you're a rational thinking person this morning, you probably have maybe a little bit of an elevated heartbeat if you've not tuned it out. The fact that God allows us to live is mercy. So the question, how would it work? How would you fare if you met God Today, if you don't know, if there's no peace in your heart, if Christ is not reigning there, you can give your life to Jesus Christ today. You can be saved, changed, born again. You can leave here a brand new person, and you don't even have to wait until the invitation. That may rock our Baptist a little bit, but our God is so big, he can save you in the pew. So here's the question that we're going to look at this morning. Beginning of our four-part series on the glory of God. Is it possible to know God? If you've been in church for a long time, those are questions that you have left years ago. I mean, that is so far back in the dust, it rarely even comes to mind. But here's a question that we have to actually ask if we're talking to people who actually may have questions about our faith. Is it possible to know God? And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read a passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 18 through 25. Then we're going to look at some data. We're going to look at some evidence and some facts that we have to understand before we can make sense of what this passage is actually talking about. So we're going to use it as bookends and allow God to weave this passage through what we do here this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, 
I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Lord willing, what we're going to unpack from this passage of Scripture is an answer to the question, is it possible to actually know God? The answer is that knowing God is possible. But we have to come to God through humility. Humility that produces faith. Faith that works together with humility. Have you guys ever um, really taken a look at the stars? Maybe you're somewhere out in Franklin County or somewhere and it's just no lights and you see how amazing the Milky Way actually is. And you think, man, the world is so big, the universe is so huge How does that relate to God and his greatness and me and my smallness? We know from science, there's one article here that I'll give you some facts from. 200 billion stars. It's like the national debt. National debt's more, but whatever. 200 billion stars in the galaxy. And this article says, as galaxies go, the Milky Way is a middleweight. The largest galaxy that we know of, designated C. 1101 has over 100 trillion stars and other galaxies can have as many as a trillion stars. I can't even imagine how huge that is. And here's what the Bible says thousands of years ago in Psalm chapter 8, for those of you that are taking notes, beginning in verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? That you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet. Now in the fall, here in a few weeks, we're going to begin a six-week series on the existence of God. If you ever had questions, say, well, what does science point towards? Well, what does what do world-class philosophers think about the existence of God? What do you say when somebody says, prove God to me? We're going to take six weeks and look at those questions in the series on the existence of God. But even as far back as Psalms, I mean, 3,000 years ago, you've got David the psalmist just looking up in the expanse, no city lights, just thinking, that is huge. And he didn't know about how many stars there were because they didn't have modern science. But he's looking and saying, that is incredibly massive. How can God really, as big as the universe is, the universe can't rival God because God created the universe, right? 
How does God interact with us? How is it possible for us to know God? And here's what we want to put forward this morning. That it is possible for you and I to actually know God on a personal level. But we have to enter the elementary school through humility. Instead of thinking we can enter the doctoral program on God with God. Look at what I've done. Remember what Jesus says? And unless we become as a little child, we will not inherit The kingdom of God. He's not saying check your brain at the door. But what God is saying is that human pride blinds us. You ever known somebody so arrogant that they literally cannot see how big of a jerk they are. How people run from them. How nobody even wants to have lunch with them. Nobody wants to work with them. But in their mind, they're all that in a bag of chips. And an open bag of Oots Ruffled chips. Like they're the stuff. Like they're awesome. They bless everyone that they're around. Because they're there. But we see into that from the outside how repulsive that is. Imagine if you're God, you have no sin. Perfect in every way. Imagine how repulsive our pride is to God. And the most tragic thing about it is that the reason why many people don't know God is because they're blinded by their own sin and their own pride. So the question is, okay, all right, I get that. How do you actually know God? Well, something that we need to understand is that God does not begin the scripture with a philosophical defense on the existence of God. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the Bible begins with an assumption uh, for, for our philosophers, a properly basic belief, a presupposition, that, by the way, every argument begins with, that God is there. Psalm chapter 14, if you want to write it down, there's another presupposition that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So the Bible begins with the assumption, the properly basic belief that God is there and he exists. Now here's the question, go with me. If God actually exists, if he's real, then God must be, understatement of the week, incredibly powerful. Agree on that? Like if he's there, he cannot be like the God who's, you know, Wondering what's going to happen in the future. The God who is is trying to get consultation with other beings. Like he is absolutely magnificent. And we know that because the creation of the universe. Now something very helpful if you're not a believer here this morning. Is that when you look at the natural world. And you see it red with tooth and claw. When you watch the Discovery Channel. And you see how the green emerald wasp will literally jump on the top. I'm serious. Dead serious. Jump on a cockroach. And ride it like a bull and then implant its larva inside the abdomen of the cockroach. They grow in there, literally eat its guts until it dies and then crawl out of the cockroach. That, all of that. Aren't you glad you came to Rocky Mount Baptist Church this morning? Like, Lord, I think I'll just skip lunch. All right, like that, 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 that's the way that the world works right now. When you look at, in a little bit more serious note, when you look at human sin, when you look at child abuse, when you look at all of these things that just pull at our hearts and we say, that's so terrible, that's wrong, that's wicked, I, I can't go to sleep because I've seen that. All of those things that we have in the world to where there's death, disease, carnage, people using other people, people lying, insider trading, trying to steal people's retirement. All of that is not as God originally intended it. That's very important for all of us to understand. What we see in the world is not as God originally intended it. But God created Adam and Eve with the ability to obey or disobey. They chose the other option. But still, even in this world, this is a mind-blowing thought, there's still Amazing amounts of beauty. Amazing amounts of beauty. 
One of the guys who drives a truck in our church is telling me about the painted desert out in New Mexico. And just, I was, I didn't even see it, but the way that he was describing it was amazing. Blue Ridge Parkway, amazing. And it's funny, people at the beach, when they come on vacation, they come here. When we go on vacation, we go to the beach. That shows, like Augustine said, we can't ever be satisfied with stuff here on earth, right? Like, we can't be satisfied with experiences and things. But even in this world, imagine this, a world that is full of sin, a world that is full of pollution, a world that's actually been wrecked by the flood in the book of Genesis that wrecked the environment, all of that damage, we can still look at a sunset and be like, bro. That is amazing. So even God's creation that has been marred by sin still carries incredible beauty. And the greatest part of his creation is us. You realize that? Only humans were made in the image of God. So what does that actually mean? If you want to do some research, the phrase in Latin that's used across uh, different books is imago Dei. It's the image of God. And here's what C.S. Lewis has to say about just people. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. What he's saying is that God has created every person in his image so that we are literally immortal. We will die. We will go to one of two places, heaven or hell, for all eternity. The Imago Dei. What what does it mean to be human? I mean, we're we're jumping in the big pool repeatedly here this morning. That's a massive question. Millard Erickson, great theologian, says, The image of God and human nature are best understood through a study of the person of Jesus, not humans per se, because Jesus was born without a sin nature. So much more there that we don't have time for this morning because you guys probably want to eat supper around 6 o'clock. So the Imago Dei, the image of God, what is... Uh, what are some components of that? Well, one thing would be that humans, and we actually have some photos we're going to show you guys this morning. We can agree, uh, humans overall, at least well, let's say this, before the invention of YouTube so we can see how dumb we are, because that's the way that you do, right? You're hanging out with your friends, they do something incredibly dumb, and then you put it on YouTube. Y'all would never do that. Great, great people at Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. Incredibly intelligent. And here's, here's a very interesting parallel. People from as far back as we can track are inventors, creators. J.R.R. Tolkien, the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings, he said that God being a brilliant creator, this is a paraphrase, created his creation, us, in his image so that we have a natural desire to create. Let's take a look at the first one. For those of you that um, really enjoy pyramids and uh, getting on, on that research, here's a picture of the pyramid compared to Big Ben, Leaning Tower of Pizza, as you learned in fourth grade, Statue of Liberty, and the Eiffel Tower. This was built thousands and thousands of years ago. It's very interesting that historians tell us that when the Great Pyramid of Giza was built, 144,000 white casing stones were used to cover it so that the ancients called it the Great Light. There's one article that said that as far back as you could see it, it was like this giant glow when the sun was out. Absolutely 
amazing. And to the point that there's a lot of debate today, we'll say it's over 450, uh, around 450 feet tall or so. How do you get stone blocks that weigh over 15 tons up that high? There's all sorts of debate to where the, we really can't do that today from what we know. We can't, re- we can't replicate it. Brilliant. Another one would be, uh, for those of you who are history buffs, the Colossus of Rhodes. Rhodes was an island city in the ancient world. A brilliant, brilliant group of people who advocated freedom in that part of the world. Imagine sailing a ship under the Colossus of Rhodes and looking up and seeing that gigantic, gigantic statue. And in fact, that's actually what inspired the French creator to build the Statue of Liberty as the new world example of holding the light of freedom. Imagine being in the ancient world and coming and seeing that. Absolutely unbelievable. See, how could the ancients build something like that? And then you fast forward uh, years and years and years and you come to the printing press. Johann Gutenberg, a brilliant German inventor, created the printing press. And the first book was the Bible. You know why Gutenberg wanted to create, to invent the printing press? To help the Bible spread and the message um, be spread. Then you fast forward in history, we come to flight. The Wright brothers in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. You fast forward that all the way to space travel. And for those of you that are like Jim Carrey on Dumb and Dumber, you're like, we made it to the moon. And then you run out of the church and tell everybody that you know, we made it to the moon. And for those of you who have friends from other countries that like to give us a hard time about being not being on the metric system, you can just respond, say there are two kinds of countries in the world, those who use the metric metric system and those who've made it to the moon. Hashtag go USA. <laughs> All right? You can take that home. And then you fast forward a little bit more. And this is, this is Bill Gates sitting on top of a massive pile of paper showing that all of those documents can fit on a CD-ROM. How many of you still use CD-ROM? Nobody wants to admit it. Because now that's old stuff. You can have a thumb drive that can hold far more than even the CD-ROM. We've made all sorts of advances in human knowledge with food, with the eternal food called Twinkies, uh, to where if there is a nuclear fallout, that's all that you need. But then, aren't you glad you came? Right, somebody being like, I'm going to go to normal church next week. But not only are humans incredibly, incredibly intelligent, we're also morally accountable, meaning that we have a conscience. So you write this text down. It's Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, and it gets to the gist of the Gentiles, meaning people who don't have the Bible, never heard of it, don't have it written down. They have the law, meaning the natural law from God written on their hearts, their consciences either accusing them or excusing them. That means that every person ever born at any time has the knowledge that there is right and wrong and they're going to give an account. Like this next picture of a missionary with the hand of a boy who's starving in Africa. We look at that and we intuitively know we don't need an argument that that is a noble thing to reach out to people like that. Another one is the uh, the example of humans giving mercy. This is back in um, the devastating Black Saturday brush fires in Victoria, Australia in 2009 where you got a firefighter giving giving water to a koala and I've heard that in uh, in that country that koalas can absolutely tear you up 
It's amazing that we make toys out of things like koalas and toys like a teddy bear. I guarantee you, if you see a bear out in the wild, you will not say, can you come and sit in my bed so I can hug you? That's not, it's not going to happen, even if your name's Bubba, all right? So we know that, we know that humans, we know this about ourselves, that we're incredibly intelligent. The Bible gives evidence of that, history does. But we also know that we have a conscience, but that's not all the story. We also are depraved to where we have a sin-warped nature. We know that all of these inventions, uh, as there's a, a book that I just finished about World War I and the Russian Revolution, shortly before World War I, many of the great thinkers and scientists in the world said this from uh, the New York world. They said that the 20th century, the prediction, would be that it would, quote, meet and overcome all perils and prove to be the best that this steadily improving planet has ever seen. People thought at the beginning of the 20th century, well, we're wiping out diseases and now we have all of these advances in medicine and, and machinery and we have internal combustion engines and World War I spilled onto the scene and you had nations slaughtering nations. And then we have the threat today of ISIS, who's able to use social media, a brilliant invention, but to use it for evil. And then we could just fill in the blank, fill in the blank with every type of evil that we could possibly imagine. You see, humans, we are brilliant. We are morally accountable. We know right and wrong, but every single time in history, honestly, we see something great invented, like when Al Gore invented the Internet. Um, when Al Gore invented the Internet, what an amazing tool. And there's one missions professor who was saying back in the day we would have to write letters and it would take at least six weeks to get there and get prayer concerns that by the time we got the letters from the missionaries, the, the, the need may have already been passed. But now he says this was back in the day too. AOL Instant Messenger, for those of you all that, that did that. He said we can get online as long as we have an internet connection. We can know immediately the needs. We can pass it on to church. We can pray for it. But we know how much the internet has been used for horrible, terrible things. But the reason why is because humans, we have a sin-warped, sin-twisted nature and so through all of this how did god respond from the very beginning of the bible what god did is he gave the law the law for those of you who are thinkers in here you enjoy studying the law actually made civilization possible the reason why you have stuff in the law that a lot of times we don't understand today like don't do this you're like who would do that everybody did that that's the reason why god gave the law it was a way to codify morality it was a way to make civilization possible and then once god called out his people he gave them prophets but what did the jewish people do to most of the prophets they killed them like god's giving mercy prophet after prophet after prophet but slowly but surely the nation dwindled down and then finally jesus gives an example about this he says it's like the owner of the vineyard sends his servants the the people taking care of the, the vineyard they kill the servants then the owner of the vineyard's like you know what i'm gonna send my son i'll send my son they'll listen to him the story is that they kill the son god sent jesus the ultimate the very son of God. And what did humanity collectively do? They killed him. So what God could have done from the very beginning is just give it lock, stock, total justice, be done with it and start over. And you know what? God would have been totally God. Because that God doesn't obligate, he's not obligated to give me mercy and to give you grace. Do we realize that? God would give you totally God and give straight justice. But what God did is give Jesus. They killed him. But then God said, you know what? I'm going to raise him from the dead. 
And all you have to do is give your allegiance to him, trust in him, repent, turn of your sin, give your life to him, and I'll save you. I mean, you talk about mercies upon top of mercies to the fact that, that, that today, this morning, some of us are here knowing what we've done and who we are and the things that we've walked through and knowing that God still gives us the offer of grace today through the preaching of the gospel. So how does God actually reveal himself? Well, notice that the text that we read at the beginning a few minutes ago, it says, verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly, is foolishness to those who are perishing. Here's the question. Why is the preaching of the cross? And very simply, what that is, is that Jesus died for our sins. And he was raised from the dead. And if we place our faith in Jesus, he's the one who forgives and saves But why is it folly to those who are perishing? Here's the reason why the preaching of the gospel, why church attendance, why giving to missions doesn't make sense to people who've not been changed. Because it goes against everything that they're living for. If you're living for yourself, when you come to Jesus, he's like, deny yourself. Like, I don't want any of that. Right? I mean, Jesus says, if you want to find your life, you got to lose your life. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to say that the message of the cross is not foolishness when it says that everything that we think about the world is foolishness. The gospel goes to war with what we naturally love. We naturally love to be right. We naturally love not to ask forgiveness. We naturally naturally love everything to do with what puts up us up on a pedestal and the gospel comes in and destroys all of that. That's the reason why it's foolishness because it doesn't make sense if our worldview is correct. And honestly, for a lot of us uh, in America, it's not that we're Greek philosophers. It's not that we're Jews demanding a sign, but it's the fact that a lot of us are living for the almighty dollar. The man who sold, uh, for those of you who are geeks, who sold Minecraft to Microsoft this past week for $1.5 billion billion with a B dollars said I've never felt more isolated there's an article early this morning and I I debated on whether to share it or not but it just so grabbed me that I think that that we need to hear it there's a uh, man Lynn's Redding a new New England advertiser made stupid amounts of money absolutely nuts the man was incredibly wealthy, incredibly well-known, and he died last month from 52 from inoperable esophageal cancer. And he, this is the title of the article, quote, it's not worth it. Worth it. Add executives brutal rant before he died of cancer is absolutely chilling. And here's a couple of the things that he said. He said, this is on his deathbed. He said, it turns out I didn't actually like my old life nearly as much as I thought I did. I know this now because I occasionally catch up with my old colleagues and workmates. They fall all over each other to enthusiastically show me their latest project they're working on. They ask my opinion. They proudly show off their technical prowess. I find myself glazing over but politely listen as they brag about who's had the least amount of sleep and the most takeaway food. I haven't seen my wife since January. I can't feel my legs more and more. I think I have scurvy, but in another three weeks, I will be done. 
It's got to be done by then. The client's going on holiday. What do I think? He says, what do I think? And we're just going to be real. He says, I think you're all blanking mad, deranged, so disengaged from reality, it's not even funny. It's a blanking TV commercial and nobody gives a blank. This has come as a shock, I can tell you. I think I've come to the conclusion that the whole thing, life, was a bit of a con, a scan, an elaborate hoax. Countless late nights and weekends, holidays, birthdays, school recitals, and anniversary dinners were willingly sacrificed at the altar of some intangible but infinitely worthy cause. It would be all worth it in the long run. This was the con. Convincing myself that there was nowhere I'd rather be was just a coping mechanism. I can see that now. It wasn't really important or of any consequence at all, really. How could it be? We were all just shifting product, our product and the clients, just meeting the quota, feeding the beast, as I called it, on my more cynical days. So was it worth it? And the it is living for the almighty dollar and life without God. And here's his final answer. He says, well, of course not. It turns out it was just advertising and there was no higher calling. You see, brothers and sisters, that man is speaking absolute sanity. Absolute reality. But if God is not in the picture, what you end up with is absolute disillusionment and no hope. At the end, why not just end it? Because there's no point and life is all about despair. You can be as successful as you can be, but it doesn't matter. 52 or 92, who cares? Do you realize that? That if Christ is not king at all, does not matter. But here's the beautiful part. When you go back to verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. That means when Jesus saves you. You realize that life for other stuff is despair. But with Jesus, when you don't have anything, there's hope and value. I mean, you can be poor as dirt. But be filled with joy because you know this is not your home. And notice what this text goes on to say in verse 19. For it is written, this is God, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. What God's doing, he's calling out the world's intelligentsia. He's calling out all of the bigwigs and saying, put it all together in a think tank and I will show you wrong if the process of your thinking doesn't include reality. You're making good plans and investments, awesome. You've done well in business, you save, you invest, good job. We need more of that in our culture. But if it's not for the purpose of the glory of God by making disciples for all nations, it's an absolutely empty, despair-producing lifestyle that ends in darkness. And notice how the text continues. It says, where is, verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? You see, we know God 
by understanding that God, through the gospel, is giving a system of value. He's giving a brand new worldview that the world considers a losing proposition because the Christian mindset doesn't simply focus on this earth and on this life. And notice how the text continues in verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And I love verse 22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. What the Bible's saying here is that good evidence, rational arguments can lead us to the water of truth. Crazy, awesome, miraculous things in history or God may give a miraculous healing today. That can lead us to say, you know what? God's probably there, but it can't make us believe. You see, what most of us need is not more evidence, but what we need is humility. Amen? It's not a lack of evidence. It's whether we're willing to be humble. And notice the Bible says in verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. You see, now Jeff, is the Bible here saying that God is not logical? No, what the Bible is saying is that God actually establishes what is actually logical because God's system of value is different from the world. You see, God shames the wise by undercutting everything that the world says is valuable. And something for us to remember is that logic doesn't operate in, a, in an ethical vacuum. Logic doesn't operate independent of value systems. It's just kind of like if you had your house on fire, you've got a couple of kids, you've got one kid under the arm, and you're running out, things are collapsing in the background, and then you notice your other child, and then a lamp that you bought off of Craigslist for 15 bucks. It's a no-brainer, right? That you grab your child. Why? Because... Objectively and subjectively, the child has far more value than a lamp ever would. So you don't think about it. You grab the child because any system of value that would say, I'll let my child stay and bring a material possession is something that we know is wrong. So what God is saying is he's not against logic, but he's against a system of value, the worldly system that reverses everything about what is most important. And notice how the Apostle Paul concludes this section in verse 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What, what the scripture is, is getting at here is that the cross of Jesus Christ is what establishes our value system. It's the cross of Christ. Love, self-sacrifice, humility, all of those things come from Jesus Christ. And the world looks at that and says, well, I'm just living for this life, so why would I give up the only chance I have? The gospel says this life is not all that there is. And the fact that we get to be a part of what God is doing means that we're able to be a part of something that truly lasts. Here's what Augustine says. He says, understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore, seek not to understand what you may believe, but believe that you may understand. You see, the requirement for knowing God is humility. Honestly, straight up, it's humility. The question is, are you humble enough to allow God to speak to you what he wants to speak to you? And if for some, we say, well, I, I, I can receive these things, but I'm just, I'm, this is an area of my life, Jeff. I'm not just ready to give up. 
for the Lord. To come to Christ means we have to come as a little child, and it is totally rational for a little child to trust his or her mom and dad. Trust parents. Totally rational. Jesus is saying when we come to God, we don't come to God placing him in a specific box. We come to him saying, I need you. I need you. Every hour, I need you.